The book of Habakkuk, 35th book in the Old Testament, and it is probably of the minor prophets, it hits America probably the hardest, in my personal opinion. And it's not, I'm not talking about the country of America, I'm talking about the citizens of America. We are Habakkuk in a lot of respects. And we'll get into that in just a second. In, in the first few verses, you'll, under, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But we're all guilty of what Habakkuk is guilty of as well. And you say, wait a minute, he's a prophet. He's not guilty of nothing. Actually, he is. He is guilty of something. It's not criminal. Okay, What he's guilty of is not criminal. Because if he, it was criminal, we'd all be in trouble this morning, every one of us. But let's get started with Habakkuk chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Who was Habakkuk? We really don't know much about him. Other than what's written here in this book that bears his name. He lived roughly 600 years before Christ. And we believe he lived in Judah kind of leads us down that path. It never really says. It's, it's kind of unlike a lot of the books. It'll, in a lot of the other books, it'll say Malachi of Hebrew or Malachi of Bethlehem or whatever. It, this one doesn't tell us where, where Habakkuk is from. The most inter- interesting thing about him that is he openly questions God. Now, how, are, how many of us has been guilty of that? I think we can all raise our hands. He openly questions God about the treatment of Israelite. We often look up and say, Lord, why is this happening in America? Well, we know, boy. Yeah. Well, he knew, but he was just distracted. I'll put it that way. Some would even say he was complaining about what was happening. I would be one of those people that would say that he's complaining about what's happening or what is about to take place. But I believe we've all been there, asking God why. Often we see the acts of others toward us or God's children, and we don't understand how God could be like that and allow bad things to happen to us. Us. We're important. We're huge. We're massive. How dare them, how dare bad things happen to us? We've all been there. We have. We We have all been there. I have often thought that Habakkuk was included in the Old Testament because of that. Yes. Because of the way that every nation on the face of the earth at one time or another has had many people in it say, God, why Mm -hmm. are you allowing this to happen to, as you said, us? Us. We're massive, we're huge, we're America. Why, we can't do any wrong. Guess what, folks? (laughs) We sure can. We think we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and we're not. We think we're perfect. We think that we walk on the water. We think that we can do no wrong. We think that we're not arrogant, pompous, and conceited. Look, I have not got a bad thing about America. I love America. I do. But I also recognize that America has its faults. By believing that we're not arrogant and conceited, we become. My mom once told me that I was the most arrogant, conceited, and pompous child that she raised. I thought she told me that. <laughs> she, actually, she actually told me that, and I told her that I was not. I'd go along with the arrogance and the pompous, but I would not go along with the conceited. She's really, 
I said, right. I looked up the word conceit. It means when you think you're great. I know I'm great, so therefore I'm not conceited. She said, Rob, you've just proven my point. But that's where America's at today. We think that we can do no wrong. Habakkuk thought that Israel, the Judah country, could do no wrong. Why are you letting this happen to us? How many times have we wondered how God could allow cancer? Other diseases. Death. Financial ruin. This Fires. Yes. Uh, the, uh, oh, bless it. I'm sorry, folks. My mind is not with me. Anymore. Never was, but that's another story. Uh, you can tell we're brothers. <laughs> and, and that's okay. He has a right to say that. I, I, I have to say. But this, you know, this uh, epidemic that hit America, we all, we, you know, we shouldn't have been involved in that. The world was, on, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, Britain, okay. Yeah, France, sure. Not us. And, you know, in a lot of ways, folks, and, and Rob, no offense, man, I'm not trying to butt into your thing, but he, I thought mom, dad told me one time, I was arrogant and conceited. I have to admit he's right. But I think I'm not conceited. To it, but I'm not conceited. Folks, was, she was five foot tall, weighed 89 pounds. And we would come through the house, pick her up, and hand her back and forth to one another. We did it. Yeah. I, I'm not... Tossed know. her around like a little rag doll. Yeah, and she... You're going to drop me. You boys put me down. And, and we finally did. And sometimes i carry her all the way through the house saying, Hey, Mom, where you at? But we had, we had a good mother and a good father. Folks... This country is in the midst of being politics notwithstanding our system of government has become questionable. We have looked at things and said how wonderful we are for so long. I don't know if we face World War II now. We couldn't win. We couldn't win. I don't think we could win. It's not to do with God. It's got to do with the fact that we've just turned our back on Him. These Hebrews did the same thing. Habakkuk was wondering how loving God, who had selected Israel as his children, could actually sit back and allow the things that were going on that was now happening. We're there. I've said for the last couple of weeks, Habakkuk is probably one of the most interesting books we can study in the Minor Prophets because it does point more to America than any of the rest of them. We're there. 9-11, I heard multiple people, well, how could this happen to us? As my brother said, the pandemic, well, this shouldn't be happening to us. Why shouldn't it be happening to us? He's got to get our attention somehow. And we are stiff-necked, as the Pharaohs were called. We are stubborn. We're bullheaded. We're not, we're not paying attention anymore. Go for it. 
what you just now said. I know you've been watching the news like I have. See, I, you're right about 9-11. And look at what's happening now with those balloons. Yeah. Have you been watching the balloons flying from Montana? Now they're at Myrtle Beach. They're actually down in the water now. All over the United States. And is that getting our attention about these balloons? I mean, do you ever wonder what is really going on up in the stratosphere? We are okay. <laughs> Balloons from China has flown over the United States. The Pentagon is literally calling it spy balloons from China. That's what our Pentagon's saying. Now we really don't know what they are, but now this is the same organization that allowed a transgender admiral to be sitting in a chair. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that because I feel the same way what you just said. I can't trust them. I don't trust them okay. I don't trust anybody in politics and I don't trust anybody in the military other than the personal ones that I know. So do you feel like what you, I feel just like what you just now said? I don't know what it is. I don't either. It may have just been a weather balloon, but the Pentagon is calling them, Dad, calling us spy balloons. We dropped it in the ocean right off the coast of uh, Myrtle Beach. Well, I've heard of multiple oh, ones, but I've heard, so I've only seen or read about one. And they've already gone, they supposedly gone to life. But you know what, I love what you said, Bob, because I honestly feel this is, we are worried about it because yeah. I, I agree with you, our trust right now is totally in Jesus Christ. Well, if if we put our trust in Christ, that's where our trust needs to be. But a lot of people are not trusting even in Christ. Because the churches have failed to teach it and preach it and live it. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody this morning, but there are a lot of individuals in this country that are so-called claimed Christians, and they're not producing any fruit. Well, look, this is Sunday morning, and look how empty your churches are. Now, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, but uh, it's all over. Folks, we knew 10 years ago that would have been here or would have been somewhere. You don't have to be, I, I'm sorry, you don't have to be Church of God. You don't got to be Baptist. I'm, I'm more Baptist than I am anything else, folks. Uh, but you, you don't have to be those things. You've got to be a Christ follower. Don't worry about the rest of it. Sister Barbara Evans is asking if you're here. Yes, sister, he is here with me today. He's been here all month. Well, you know, I'll be bringing him home soon. Her, her husband was a pastor. And she's asking prayer for her family, so when we close in prayer... We will be praying for uh, Barbara Evans's family. But America has gone the way America has gone because the churches has gone the way the churches has gone. The churches went the way the church went because the families went the way they went. If we go back to the 60s and we see Madeleine O'Hara and she petitions the government to take the prayer out of school. Well, first of all, prayer never left school. No, if you don't. If you want to pray, there is nothing that stops you from praying in school. But she petitioned the government to remove prayer from school. She got 
letters and money and people from all over the world funneled into her private account, if you will, to, to help her get there. And one individual from Texas wrote her a letter and sent her a big check. I think it was it was $1,000 at least. I think it was 10000 but I'm not going to say that for certain. I know it was at least $1,000. And his request was remove, get them to remove their clothes too. Kids are just animals. And I do not have clothing on my animals. So it was a perverted organization that supported her in her want to remove prayer from school and oh my gosh now you can't have prayer you can have prayer you can even read your bible in school but you see the whole system has told us for so long that we can't do it we bought into the myth but there's nothing in the law that says i can't what it does say is that a teacher cannot lead it in a corporate fashion it cannot take place in your classroom led by a teacher. That's what the law states. Kids can do it all day long. But we say, oh, you can't pray in school. You can't take your Bible. You can't read your Bible. At the company I work for, they told me I had to remove my Bible from my desk. I put it in a more prominent position. Because it's against the law for them to tell me that. The only thing that they can tell me is I can't read the Bible while I'm on company time. I shouldn't be reading the Bible on company time. I should be doing my job. As a Christian, I have a job to do there, and I have to do that job. But when I have my breaks and my lunch, there is nothing in the world that says that I cannot open my Bible and read it. Another company I know of, very familiar with because my wife works for them, they set aside rooms so their Muslims could go in and pray X amount of times a day, however many times that they're supposed to pray. I don't know. Most of them couldn't find East if they had to, but that's another story. I guess they went in with a compass and drew a big E on the door or on the wall. And my wife actually sent a letter to HR and said, hey, you know, they can have a room. And HR's response was actually a valid response. Might not have been what we wanted, but it was a valid response. You can go into the conference room on your breaks and read your Bible and pray all you want to. We can't stop you. And they can't. Oh, they can try. They can tell you to remove your Bible off your desk. It's against the law. The that is against is, the law. The majority of people want that. Yeah. They will fall into that trap. That's why the churches are empty. There's more important things to do in their minds. I was just, when coming up, well, at this from time that way, in right. history, I, the I was thinking all the, all the cars that were at the gym, mm -hmm. just at the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, there's more cars there. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that a exercise profiteth little. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Scripture for you this morning. I believe it's from Proverbs. I'd have to re I'd have to go back and look. It does profit a little bit. Yes. But what's more important, our outside or our inside? The outside's going to die eventually. Yeah. It don't matter how you look. Doesn't matter how you look. I want to go to the point 
where when I die and I'm laying in my casket, if there is one, because I've donated my body to science because of the things that's going on inside of me, they're, they're kind of questioning how I'm stay, still out of a wheelchair. Well, I know it's God, but I've donated my body to science for maybe they can figure it something out. But if I was to go into the casket, I want somebody to walk up and go, my gosh, he looks bad. He should have died years ago. <laughs> Why do I worry about what I, how I look? Yeah, we should take care of our body. Sure, we should eat right. We should eat healthy. We should get plenty of rest. We need a moderate amount of exercise. Yes, those are all good things. But my most important thing is my salvation, my soul, my spirit. Because it's going to live forever. This body of flesh is going to die. Amen. But that spirit's going to live somewhere. It's either going to live in heaven or it's going to die in hell forever. I want to go to heaven. That's the important one. But we forget that. Kids are growing up. They say that the problem is that there are broken homes, no daddies or no mamas. That's not the problem. There's no God. That's the number one problem in homes. There is no God. A good friend of mine who just passed away recently. His dad passed away when he was real young. He was so young he actually went up to the casket and tried to wake his father up because he just thought he was asleep. But his mother never remarried. And his mother raised a few, uh, this boy, and I think he had three or four sisters. All great individuals. My buddy was my prayer partner. I could call him in a heartbeat, and he'd drop everything and pray. He dropped everything to drive halfway across the country with me one day just to pick up my son because he didn't want me traveling that far by myself. He was a great person. He had no father in his home, but what he had was Jesus Christ because his mother would drag him to church and drag him to prayer time and drag him to wherever he needed to go. And he grew up to be a godly man. The problem is not having no moms or no dadsies. The problem is having no Jesus. And that's our fault. That's the church's fault because we're not preaching it. We're not teaching it. We're not giving them something. We believe that we can go in and we can say, well, if you're not rich, it's because you don't have faith. Material goods and faith has nothing to do with each other at all. You can die homeless. You can die penniless. You can die hungry. You can die thirsty. But you better not die without God. Amen. The churches have let down the standard. We've let down the standard to bring the people in. And the pandemic took them out. And I'm not saying that they're, they've died. They just decided that church wasn't of a value. Church wasn't a priority. And there is a difference between the two, a value and a priority. Your values change. Your priorities change. But the priorities change with the season. Your values should always get more strong, should always get better, should always get closer to God. That's what a value is. But we've let down our standard. Now, you know what the word standard means is a law, a regulation, or rules. But it also means the, the sides of the truck that holds the logs and the cargo on the bed of the truck. Those logs or those sticks, those poles are called standards. And they keep things on that truck. Our standards should keep us in the middle of the road. 
but our standards, we've let them down. We've not installed them. We've decided to move our life down the road without any standards or without having anything tied down. And things are just falling all to pieces. And we're going, hey, what's going on? What's the problem? Why, God? Why have you done this to me? We've done it to ourselves. Because you're an idiot. Yeah. Shut up, boy. We've done it to ourselves, but we blame God. I am tired. My generation, older people, younger people, all of us, blaming everything on everybody else. I had a lady one time looked at me and she said, I'm fat because of my parents. And I said, what, genetics? No. They made me eat everything on my plate when I was a kid. So put less on your plate. My parents, at the time I was really skinny, I've put on some weight in the last several years. Aww. This is a nice investment. <laughs> you need a bigger shirt. It, it cost me a lot to get here. But I looked at her and said, my parents made me eat everything on my plate. I'm not fat. The difference is you got a problem with this. You should be pushing back away from the table. But instead, you just put less on your plate, people. I like food too much. I love food. <laughs> I'm even learning how to cook so I can fix my own food. Again, it goes back to what you said about bodily exercise, profit for you. But, you know, hey, we've all got yards, don't we? We've got sidewalks. If we're not, if we're not going to, we can walk. We, we blame everything. We let God down. And then turn around and say, why did you forsake me? We blame everything on somebody else. Instead of stopping and going, whoops, that was mine. Now, I hate that expression, but I'm my, that's my bad. I despise that expression. It's just bad English. My bad, my bad, my bad. Oh, shut up. But the my thing, my, th my thing is, at least they're admitting that they made a mistake. They're owning it. They're owning it. We've got to own our problems. We can't blame Satan on our mistakes. We can't blame God on our mistakes. Satan can't make you do anything. He can just tempt you. But it's you that does the following of the temptation. Peter was tempted when he was asked, you're one of them. And he went, well, no, not me. Another young lady, you're, you're one of them. No, 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 not me. Uh, no, I am not one of them. And then he got around and he was warming his hands by the fire. And they went, you are one of his disciples. And he cursed and said, oh, no. He was tempted three times and he fell into temptation three times. Christ forgave him, but he fell into temptation three times. He did not have to do that. We read where they questioned Peter, but we also know John was there. We don't see where they questioned John. They didn't tempt John. They questioned Peter. Now, did they question them? Did they question John? We just don't have a record, a written record of it. I don't know. But the temptation's not the sin. Following the temptation. That's where the sin comes in at. 
We're all tempted. Christ was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. He did not succumb to the temptation. He responded with the word. He responded with the scriptures. Satan can't make you do anything. So you can't be like um, Geraldine off of uh, the old TV sitcom. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make us do squat. We did it because we wanted to we do it. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Maybe Habakkuk had a reason to cry out to God. His country was falling apart. Perhaps he had a reason to, to, to question God. I don't think so, but he thought so. But there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of things that was coming against him and against the, the country of Israel and the country of Judah. There was a lot of things. There's a lot of things that's coming against America. We can look up and go, why, God, why? Why the violence? Atlanta is on fire. The riot in Atlanta. There's rioting all over the nation. There's violence all over the country. Chicago, this weekend, I haven't gotten the number yet, but there is a, a, a huge amount of people that were shot and killed. Just last night in West Charlotte, an individual was shot and airlifted out. We have violence all around us. Why, God? Because we have no God. We've kicked him out. We've expelled him. We don't want him in our homes. We don't want him in our businesses. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him anywhere. We don't even want him in church any longer. We have, and again, I'm not throwing rocks at people and I'm not naming names. I will throw a rock, as you know, at Jim Jones. Because I believe Jim Jones was one of the most evil men that ever lived on this face of this earth in America. And he literally held up his Bible one day in his church. He held up a King James version of the Bible and said, the problem with you people, talking to his congregation, the problem with you people is that you're trying to follow this. That's when he held up the Bible. You're trying to follow this instead of following me. I've seen several movies and I've read several books because Jim Jones was a horrible individual. We shouldn't follow a man. We should follow Christ. We get our eyes off of the prize, if you will. We get our eyes off of the goal. We get our eyes off of Christ and we put it on a man or a woman or a thing and we fall apart. If you come to church because of your pastor. Now, I love our pastor. Our pastor is amazing. He is. He's a great guy. Love him to death. I don't come to Lakeside because of Jason Collins. I come to Lakeside because of Christ. It just so happens that Jason is the pastor at Lakeside. But why do you come to church? 
Why do you go to church where you go? Because of the man or the woman? Oh, I got a new dress. I've got a new suit. Is that why you're going to church? That's the reason. That's the wrong reason too. Why do you go? What do you do what you do? We've got to be careful who and what we listen to. There are so many pastors out there, so-called pastors, that is leading their people far, far down the road that they don't need to go down. And it's in our community. There are Sunday school teachers right now telling their, their classes things that they have no business telling them. It's not about social acts and rights and, and what you want and your civil rights and all of that. It's not about that, guys. I'm sorry. It's about Jesus Christ, and I'm not sorry. If this class ever gets to the point where I'm not teaching about Jesus, please get up and leave. Because I've already went down the road too far, and I might not recognize it. So if I ever get to the point where I'm teaching something other than Christ, get up and leave. But each one of you slap me on the way out, please. And I'm being dead serious. I am being dead, dead serious. Because we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ, especially in this day and age. Why did you do this, God? God's not anywhere near it. Man, we've kicked him out. We've expelled him. We've not invited him in. God's not guilty because God's not present. I have heard it said that Habakkuk was putting himself in the place of saying, all right, now I had a dad, I loved him dearly. He looked at me one time and said, and I'm quite sure he probably said the same thing to you, do as I say, not as I do. Habakkuk was saying, this is the way the nation is. But, folks, I think Habakkuk was actually saying, I believe that this is going on because I don't think God cares any longer. He was a minor prophet. But he was saying a great thing. In just a few chapters, he encapsulates an entire problem for generations of people. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? This is verse 2 again. Thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Habakkuk wondered how God could be so insensitive and uncaring. He had wept and cried out to God, and he believed God was not listening. The Israelites were even crying out to God to stop man's violence. Yes. But it appeared to Habakkuk that God did not care. In in early days of America, we would have called these in we would have called Habakkuk or people that believed that as a deatist. God got us started, and then he just kind of walked away from us, and he's sitting back watching to see what we'll do. That's what a deatist is. You might want to think that Habakkuk might have been thinking he was a deatist. God got us started. He spun everything up, and now he's just sitting back. I hope none of us believe that God has just got us started, and he's just watching from a distance. 
God is very much or should be very much active in our lives. Verse 3, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spalling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Habakkuk was so bold that he asked God how Habakkuk was forced to look at the injustice in the sin. And God saw the same and was supposedly tolerant of the issues. It was not comprehensible to Habakkuk how a loving God could wink at the sin that he saw. Habakkuk was looking at the injustice, the strife, and the contention, the sin of evil people, but nothing was happening to them. The rich was continuing to get richer, and the poor was getting poorer, and God isn't moved by the injustice. We pray to God, we ask God certain things, and we may ask him over and over and over and over again. There are some reasons why God will not answer our prayer. It may not be the time for God to answer the prayers. I remember as a young boy, as a teenager, I prayed about this young girl. Lord, let me marry her. I'm here to tell you that my wife of almost 37 years was not that young lady. I didn't meet my wife until I got to be 21 and moved to North Carolina. Well, was God intolerant and indifferent to my plea? No, he heard my plea. He just knew what he wanted. He, he knew, knew better. He knew what I needed better than I knew. Well, let's, uh, we've all lost loved ones. And I'm sure we've all prayed for those loved ones to get well. My mother, my father, my father-in-law, cousins, friends, all prayed. Lord, heal. Lord, heal. Lord, heal. And they pass away. I was sitting as a, as a, uh, in a church not far from here, as a pallbearer for a friend of mine's wife who had passed away of cancer. This was a good 30 years ago, 25 at least years ago. And I'm sitting there and I actually asked the question, God, why didn't you heal her? We prayed, we anointed her with oil, we, we put hands on her, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we fasted, we did everything, but you didn't heal her. Why? God went, yeah, I did. I did heal her. Yes, it did. Perfectly. And forever. That's right. She's home. That's right. She's That's right. Cancer is never going to attack her again. That's right. And she'd had multiple bouts of cancer. That's right. God revealed something to me that day that should have been very obvious. Sometimes when we pray to heal and they pass, they God answered our That's prayers. Right. Amen. Permanently. That's right. Perfect. I know that I can be healed of MS here. Not by doctors, but by God. I know that I can be healed of MS here. But I know that if I die and I'm still got MS here, I won't have MS there. Because you see, MS is not allowed through the pearly gates. Cancer is not allowed through the pearly gates. Infection is not allowed. COVID is not allowed. God can heal. December 2020. My wife got to the point where she couldn't breathe. Just in very, very shallow breath. That's all she could do. She was struggling hard. Her blood oxygen level was down to a 48. 
with our little monitor that we had, and I thought, dear heavens, our monitor's broke. She should be unconscious at the oxygen level of 48. So I called the paramedics. My wife is laying there going, I'll go to urgent care. No, you're, you're going by ambulance. I've already called them. They came in. Of course, she had COVID. We knew that. She'd been diagnosed. And I told them she's got, she's got COVID. So they came in and I said, our oxygen monitor says that she's down to 48, but I believe her, my, our monitor is broken. And they did use theirs, and they looked up at me and went, no, it's not. It's not broken. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's even less than 48. So they rushed her to the hospital. Now, this is the first time in, in the history of mine and her relationship that I could not go into the hospital room with her. So I'm sitting in the emergency room, waiting room, about to go out of my skin. I had grabbed up all of her medicines. I put them in a little food line bag and I went to the emergency room and I looked at the doctors and I looked at the nurses and said, I've got all of her medicine if you need to see what she's on. Because there's no way I can remember this, the names of some of these stories. Oh no, we've got it in her records. Okay. But Mr. Sapp, we're going to have to ask you to leave the emergency room. Now I can't go into her room, but now I can't even sit in the emergency room. Okay, where can I go? Can I go to my car and sit in the parking lot? Yeah, you yes, you can go there. Okay, that's where I'm going to be. And I went to my car and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there. Now, this was in early December. December the 4th, as a matter of fact. And I sit there and I sit there and I called the pastor and I called some of my family and I called some of her family and and then I just fell apart. No question, I fell apart. There's no question. Because I had already got, I had gotten there before she did. I beat the ambulance to the hospital. I'm watching the ambulance unload my wife, knowing that I can't go in at all. There's no waiver you could sign. And the only thing I could do was say, Jesus over and over and over and over. Because that's how it is in the hospitals now. They, you, it just has to be the person that's going in there. They can't have nobody well, waiting you. You can now. Now, now you can. But back then you could. then you could. 16 days we went without seeing each other. We talked on the phone. We texted. But we didn't see each other. Sunday, December the 20th, I'm sitting here at the church. I get a text. They're releasing me from the hospital. I'll let you know when you can come and get me. Church service was about over, so I sit and I waited. Church service got over. You saw a fat, bald man run across the parking lot, literally. Jumped in his car, flew to the hospital, and was sitting in the parking lot waiting. I didn't care how long it was going to take. I'm sitting there just to bounce. Why am I going there? All I could do was give my wife to God. That's all I could do. I couldn't be there. And even if I could have been there, I couldn't have done anything, but I could have been there. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, Dear God, bring my wife back to me. Let me have her one more time. God answered that prayer. So many others, He didn't. Why did I get blessed? Well, God knew the world needed me to have my wife. Because without my wife, 
The world is in a serious world of hurt. My kids even pray, dear God, we hope Dad dies first. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Because I can get fired up, I can get mad, I can get upset, and Leanne will just reach over and put her hand on my leg and everything just settles. Or she'll just put her hand on my back and rub my back a little bit and everything is okay in my world again. And my son, my daughter's like, dear God, without her, who's going to control him? <laughs> We're just going to have to put value in his streets and just put him to bed. <laughs> God gave me a blessing that day. December the 20th, she texted me. She said, okay, they're finally, this was several hours later, they're finally letting me go. Their paperwork's been signed. You can come to the hospital. Honey, I've been sitting here for the last three hours. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm already moving to the pickup point. I'll be waiting <laughs> on you when you get here. They wheeled her out. She's just sitting there shaking her head at me. I had the door open. And the nurse went, how long have you been waiting? Four hours. It's nothing. <laughs> but the thing is, God blessed me that day. Sometimes he blesses me by letting them go home permanently. They're no longer hurting. They're no longer sick. Our father passed away to dementia. He's home. His mind is right. Habakkuk is wondering, what are you doing, God? God's doing what God does. Thank God he does it. Can you imagine if Robert was in charge? Sometimes God blesses you and you think he's yes. not yeah. blessing you. And you find out later that that was a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes there's points in your life where he grows you. Yes be more like him and mm -hmm. cut away the stuff that you have picked up and put on yourself on the way. The butterfly cannot fly if it doesn't struggle to get out of the cocoon. It has to struggle for its wings to be strong enough to lift it up off the ground. If you break the cocoon open and set the butterfly free, the wings are not strong enough and it can never be a butterfly. Sometimes we have to go through hard times for our wings to get strengthened and fly. It's not easy. It's not pleasant. But it happens. But you know what? Through it all, God's still there. Amen. He's still there. He's still helping us. And I was sitting at the house not too long ago. And we'll quit at this because it's almost time to, for church. I was sitting at the house not too long ago. And I asked God why sometimes he took us around the storm under or around or even over. But then other times, he takes us straight through the storm. And my question wasn't, why are you taking me through the storm? My question was, why do you take me through the storm sometimes when you've taken me around the storms or under the storms or over the storms at other times? And God's answer was simple. He looked down at me and he went, because going through the storm is the shortcut. And I went, makes perfect sense. Sometimes to get through the storm, you've got to go right through the middle. That's the quickest way. God has never left me in the middle of the storm. He's never looked around and went, wow, this is even rough for me. I'm out of here. No, he's never done that. He's always held on to my hand and said, let me take you through. 
I don't hold God's hand. God holds mine. Because you see, in the hard times, if I'm holding His, I'm going to let go. But if He's holding mine, He'll never let go. He will never let go. A little kid was trying to cross the street and Dad said, let me hold your hand. He said, no, Daddy, I'll hold yours. He said, no, let me hold yours. I won't let go no matter what. God the Father will never let go if we allow Him to hold our hands. Any prayer requests or comments or questions? Wow, we got three verses done today. Woo! <laughs> Remember Barbara Evans in your in your prayers and, and uh, those that are suffering, those that are you know troubled. Remember those individuals that are scared about the balloons. We don't know what the balloons are doing, but there's no fear, or there should be no fear. What? So what if it's a Chinese spy balloon? God's in charge. It's let not the first time. Let God. It's not the first time that the balloons have flown over the United States. World War II, Japan sent balloons over and bombed us in Washington State. So why are we scared? Why are we worried about the balloons? Let God, as my sister just said, let go and let God. That was a statement from our my father-in-law and our former pastor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch on the prayer requests, Lord, that you'll touch Sister Evans' family, Lord, that you'll continue to move, Lord, on her and her family, God. We ask, Lord, that you'll bless the musicians and the music. Let it be especially pleasing unto your ears. Lord, anoint the lips of the messenger as he endeavors to bring forth your message. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.